we want to welcome Alan Rose, and uh, we look forward to hearing from God this morning. So, uh, okay, hi. Um, did you all sleep well? Yeah, we slept all right as well. It was amazing. Um, around five o'clock this morning, Zachary woke up with a... Um, Susanna was on duty, so I, I slept, and uh, that, that was all right. Um, actually, it was during uh, a, uh, a 3 a.m. pace around the kitchen with a, a young lad who was uh, approaching DEFCON 1 screaming... Um, that I had this eureka moment um, that, uh, that God wanted me to speak on some things and a particular scripture kind of came to mind for, uh, as a template really for this weekend. Uh, as I mentioned to you last night, Joe said, can you speak on a, a grace-filled church? Which I sort of choked a little bit. I was like, well, there's quite a lot that you can say about that. Where do you begin? Uh, we've got one weekend, not three. Um, so uh, by the grace of God, lots of prayer and 3 a.m. pacings with a, a yelling child. Uh, God spoke, and I've got some stuff to, to share with you, and believe in God that he's going to do great stuff among us this weekend as we engage with his word. Uh, I love preaching. Um, I have a high view of preaching, that it's not about you taking a lot of notes and then going away and working out what you do with that that changes your life, but the word of God preached changes your heart now in the moment, because the word of God is living and is active. And so this isn't a lecture. It's not information, although it contains information. This is about revelation and connection, and a moment of meeting. And so this very place this morning becomes a place where heaven and earth intersect and overlap and connect, where your imagination gets reshaped and remolded to think different thoughts, to think of the world and life and relationships and church and family and work differently uh, in light of Jesus' great resurrection and ascension, right? Good? Exciting? I'm preaching already. It's the coffee. Yeah, let's do it. I've got to say, Kevin is a man of God for bringing me good coffee this morning. Uh, I was like, oh, wow, this is, can you come home with me? Can you just, uh, Marilyn, sorry, I, you, can, you can come too. It's, you know, it's all good. Either that or can you just like take down Johnny Jarvis brick by brick uh, and then fly it over in a Hercules and, and we'll take that. That's fine. Or either that or Susanna, we're moving to the apartment above Johnny Jarvis, right? So, uh, so this is what I'm going to do this morning and uh, for this, the whole weekend is I'm going to use 1 Peter chapter 2 as a kind of template. Uh, for, uh, for the, the sessions this weekend. I'm going to preach two messages this morning from 1 Peter 2, and then I'm going to use the rest of 1 Peter 2 to kind of trampoline into some other things as well, which is a little bit cheeky, but uh, I think there's some things that God wants to bring out from some other scriptures and things as we e- engage with that. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. The words are going to crack up on the screen behind me in a minute. Are they there? Oh, they're there already. Cool. Aaron's good. Do you want to come to England as well? Um, <laughs> Do you want a church left? I mean, this is, I take you all. Um, so we're going to be looking at these verses here this morning. Um, if you are here and you wouldn't think of yourself as a Christian, welcome. It's so cool. I'm guessing that you're here either because you've got a, a zealous spouse who dragged you along, maybe under duress, or maybe you've got like a super zealous friend who's always badgering you at like work or college or something. And so you thought, maybe I can just get them off my back by going to the weekend or go to the stupid camp, okay? And so you're here. Um, if, if you're here for whatever reason, it's so cool to have you here. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And let me, just, let me just speak to you right away off the bat. Um, this particular passage that we're looking at here, it, starts, it ends with these words, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. And, and so what I'm doing this morning is primarily I'm speaking to people who are Christians, uh, people who have tasted, who have experienced that God is good, who have a, a living relationship 
with God. If you're not in that place and, and you would say, yeah, I, I don't think that, that I am a Christian. I wouldn't think of myself as one or call myself one. Let, let, me just, let me just straighten one thing out for you right at the beginning. What I'm talking about this morning is not religion. It's very, very different to what I'm talking about. Uh, a preacher from New York City, Tim Keller, describes the difference between religion and the Christian gospel like this. He says, religion says, I obey and therefore God accepts me. So basically, I do good stuff, I work hard, I keep my nose clean, I'm a good boy or girl, and God accepts me because of my works. But the gospel says, I'm accepted by God freely as a gift through faith in Christ Jesus. Therefore, out of that, I obey and I live different. Okay, so let me clear that up for you because sometimes I think there's a lot of misunderstanding about what's going on. And the two very different ways of living and being. So we're talking about the gospel this morning. We're talking about the grace of God. We're talking about acceptance with God. We're not talking about here's a bunch of people who think that they're really doing well enough to get themselves to heaven in the end and have earned some kind of get out of hell free card along the way. It's not really that kind of a gig. Okay, so I just want to address that to you if you're not a Christian. You wouldn't think of yourself in that way this morning. You're totally welcome, and I really hope that, that what you hear today surprises, shocks, maybe even unsettles in some way. Um, I'd love it if you want to come and chat to me afterwards. Um, if you're big, please don't hit me. Don't say it out of your anger. I'm quite small. But if you want to engage in conversation, that's all good. Okay? Um, right, let's read this passage. I'm going to pray, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll crack on into it, all right? So, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. You can see why the baby thing when I was there. <laughs> that by it you may grow up to salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let me just pray for a moment. Jesus, we, uh, we thank you for your great resurrected glory. Uh, we thank you that you have ascended, uh, that you are now enthroned as the, the rightful ruler of all things. And, uh, Jesus, we surrender our hearts and our minds to you. And uh, we're expectant for you to meet with us through your word now. And uh, we want our hearts to be open, good soil, receptive to hear what you're saying. And uh, that we might be transformed in this moment. That we would encounter your presence through your words and be changed by it. We ask it in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Cool, cool. Okay, so first thing I'm going to really hit on. I'm going to take this passage back to front. So we started with, if indeed you tasted that the Lord is good. And I said that Peter actually is addressing in this letter Christians primarily. And then what I'm going to do, we're going to look at this first thing about growing up into salvation. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? Peter says, grow up into salvation. And uh, there's a lot of things that might go through your mind at that point. You think, well, whatever is he talking about? Does, does he mean that somehow then we have to revert back to this religious thing? That, that Jesus gave us a great example in his life and death and resurrection, but now somehow we've got to really stoically fight it out and by our efforts, by our morality, we've got to try and tough it out and, and, and become something that we're really not and we're kind of pretending, we're kind of trying to act like this is really real, but oh, it's hard and you know, I'm just an old sinner who's going to heaven maybe. Uh, or, or is there something else going on? What, what, what does it mean to grow up into salvation? Well, Perhaps it would help to talk about briefly two things that Peter doesn't mean by growing up into salvation before we begin to explore a little bit more of what he does mean by growing up into salvation. You all cool with that? We kind of clear the decks a little bit, and then maybe we're all on the same page. So the first thing is this. He doesn't mean, when he talks about growing up into salvation, going from less saved to more saved. 
It doesn't mean that you become a Christian at some point in your life, and then over the course of your Christian life, you gradually become more and more uh, of a Christian, more and more of someone who can count themselves and actually with integrity say, well, I'm a Christian now, 10 years later. It's not about that. It's not about going from being less accepted by God to more accepted with God over time. It's not a question of being being not very moral when you start and becoming more moral as you grow up as a Christian. That's not the point. So we're not talking about that kind of thing, less to more. That's not the deal. Neither does it mean that we're saving ourselves by our works. Now, listen up, you guys who maybe wouldn't think of yourselves as Christians. This is key. This is not what Paul's talk, Peter's talking about. Paul, it's an easy thing to do, isn't it? Paul, Peter, ah, nah, same difference. Um, so uh, he's not talking about our works save us somehow. Uh, that at the end of history, uh, God will appear as a, as a gigantic judge somehow uh, on the, and, and then kind of weigh up in the scales. Well, good works, ooh, that, ooh sorry. You're just, you're just a gram over in the bad, sorry. Uh, try again, see you later. It's not about stacking up your good works. So Peter's not talking about a process where we change from less saved to more or somehow our works bring us from being less accepted by God to more accepted with God. So what I want to suggest to you that Peter means when he says to grow up into salvation is this. What he means is that we become as Christians more and more in knowledge, in practice and experience what we have already become in Christ Jesus. Let me say that again. I think it's on the screen. There we go. Thank you, Aaron. You're really good. You're really good. Growing up in salvation means becoming more and more in knowledge, in practice, and in experience what God says you have already become in Christ Jesus. You get that? So it's a question of maturing somehow, growing up somehow, but it's not about getting yourself in It's not about staying in. It's not about getting God to like you in the end. It's about becoming who you actually really, truly are. Let's look at some things that Peter says are already true of us then in Christ Jesus. This is just a snapshot from 1 Peter up until the point we're at now, all right? So Peter says that we're sanctified by the Spirit in 1 Peter 2. Uh, uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 2. He says that we're born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead in verse 3. We're given an inheritance in 1 verse 4, guarded by God's power in verse 5. Children of God in verse 14. We're holy in verse 16. Do you think of yourself as holy this morning? My word. Do you think, do you wake up this morning thinking, oh, I'm counted as holy. I'm a holy person. You know, sometimes people think that elders going to wake up in the morning and go, oh, good morning, Lord. Here's the reality. We wake up in the morning and go, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> You see, what happens is we, don't, we get into this habit of thinking that how I feel on any given moment, any kind of given day, somehow is an indicator of what is really true of me. Wrong! It's not. We base our lives on what God says is true of us, and then we trust that our experience and our knowledge and our practice of that will grow over time. So you are holy, set apart, counted as the beloved in Christ. Uh, you've been ra- ransomed by Jesus' blood. Uh, in verses 18 to 19, purified. Verse 22, chosen and precious. We're going to look at that a little bit later on. And that the people of God who have now received mercy. All these things God says you already are in Christ Jesus. 
You are them now, whether you have had the best week of your life or the worst week of your life, whether you became a Christian five minutes ago or 55 years ago. These things are true of you, whether tomorrow you sin, whether tomorrow you are perfectly righteous, they are true of you because it counts that you are in Christ Jesus. All these things are true of you right now, already true of you. Now, is your experience of all those things full and perfect and exciting and vibrant and fleshy? Anyone want to say, yes, my experience of all those things is like, it's spot on. I'm completely living in it. Hallelujah. Anyone? No, there's no deluded people here. That's good news. Joe, you've done well, man. It's good. So growing up into salvation then means we begin to understand and to experience and to practice these things that God has already said are true of us. And so it's a process of maturing. God's into us maturing as his children. He loves you as you are. He loves you too much to leave you as you are. And as Greg Haslam, a friend of mine who's the the pastor of Westminster Chapel in the UK, uh, once said that those whom God loves... He beats the hell out of. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. You got me? <laughs> See what you've done there. Here's a little illustration. You know, we share some things, don't we, as uh, Canadians and, and uh, British people? Do you realize that? We share quite a lot, really. Uh, we, share, uh, we share a mutual warmth and admiration for our American cousins. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. We also share a royal family, right? And I was, I was thrilled to find that dear old Chaz and, and Camilla were here in Fredericton, weren't they? Did anyone go and see Charles? Anyone go? Nah. Come on. Oh, well, that's it, yeah. Come on, you mean to say that you weren't on like a rooftop with a... <laughs> Get him! No, sorry, that's Newfoundland. I got it. Right, okay. Um... Is that bad to say? Oh, well, I shouldn't. Maybe I won't joke about this anymore. Okay. We have a royal family. We share a royal family, right? We share the same queen. We share the same princes, all that. So let me give you an, 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 an illustration from the royal family of what I'm talking about, growing up in salvation. Uh, you know, Prince William? Anyone see the royal wedding? Anyone watch that? Yeah, of course. Um, Prince William, on the day that he was born, was heir to the throne. He was the heir to the throne on the day that he was born. That messy, screaming, covered in muck and amniotic fluid, like a ball of stuff, was heir to the throne. Do you think he knew the first thing about it? No. Do you think he understood the privileges and the responsibilities of being an heir to the throne that day? Doubt it. No way. Did that make him less than the heir to the throne? No. Of course not. Now, he's what, 24, 25 now? Is that right? About that. He's 30. (laughs) I see, this is good. So you're you're so patriotic. I love it. God save our grace. Okay, he's 30. Well, that's even better still. So over 30 years, has he become any more or less the heir to the throne? No? You have to think about that. Wait a minute. But have his... Has its understanding of the responsibilities and the privileges of being the heir grown over that 30 years? Yeah, you bet. That's exactly what Peter's talking about here. The day that you become a Christian, you receive grace, life, peace with God, acceptance, favor, mercies. You receive an inheritance. All those things that we saw that Peter says about us. 
We know nothing really about it, except we emerge into this new Christian life in a kind of fizz of excitement and enthusiasm because it's all new and there's a honeymoon period. And then over years, we grow in our experience and our understanding of the privileges, and we begin to understand in deeper ways how great this gospel is, how beautiful the grace of our Father is in giving his Son and what it means to be in him. We grow up into it over time as we mature as Christians, right? You following me? You got me, okay? Consider briefly what it says in Hebrews. I'll let you into a secret. I I brought a memory stick with all the PowerPoints, but the PowerPoints weren't on it. (laughs) So so you're going to have to track with me here. This is what it says in Hebrews 10, verses 12 to 14. Maybe test Aaron's super quick fingers. It says this, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Right? The same thing. Perfected for all time in Christ. Jesus as Messiah is the representative of his people. Which means that when the Father says of Jesus at his baptism, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased, because he's Messiah and because Messiah represents a people, it means that you are allowed to hear the Father say that of you if you're in him. Right? So Jesus, our representative, does away with sin and stands before the Father, pure, perfect, holy. If you're in him, you're counted pure, perfect, holy, but you're being sanctified. You're being made holy. You're growing up into salvation. Or how Paul puts it in Philippians 2.13, he says to the church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, well, that doesn't sound very nice. That sounds a little fear. Trembling? No, we don't do. No, we don't do fear as Christians, because it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So there's two things here. God is at work in you. Therefore, cooperate with the things of God. You see, growing up into salvation, working, cooperating with the Spirit, growing in experience and knowledge and practice of the things that God says are true of you already. That's what it means to grow up into salvation. So. The question is then, how does that happen? How do we, good question. Thank you for asking. That's a good question. How do we grow up into salvation? If this is, this is what it's about, not trying to get saved, but growing in our understanding of the responsibilities, the privileges, the, the beauty, the grace, the wonders, all that we have received, how do we then go about this? Is, it, is this where it comes down to us working? Is this where it's going to come down to our works? Is it, I knew it. I knew it, Alan. I knew that it was going to revert down to, no, wait a minute. Let's just, let's just take a look at what Peter says. He gives us some clues here. The next thing, long, he says, long for the pure spiritual milk. In the scriptures, uh, let me just find this first. Like newborn infants, Peter says, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Long for the pure spiritual milk. What is spiritual milk? <laughs> I found myself thinking about that. What, what is spiritual milk? What on earth is he talking about? Is, is this some kind of like, government program? We, in the UK, we used to get little bottles of milk at school um, up until about 1980. <laughs> um, <laughs> when, they, when they stopped, Margaret Thatcher, bless her cotton socks, decided, nope, no more. We're not going to subsidize milk for kids. And it was great. Kids drank milk, so they got healthy, so they grew up. And here Peter's talking about pure spiritual milk. Well, Maybe we could speculate, guess a little bit. Maybe he means, well, he's talking about the spirit, man. 
He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's all about being filled with the Spirit. That's what he means. Pure spiritual milk. Long for the Holy Spirit and you'll grow up into salvation. Well, yeah, perhaps. Perhaps that could work. Maybe he's talking about fellowship. Maybe he's talking about having a great small group, life group, community group, cell group, G12 group, house group, whatever house group you want to call it, group. Maybe that's it. Maybe in these little communities you grow up into salvation. Well, yeah, that could be true as well and probably is to some degree. But Peter actually gives us a help here. And because I know that you're all Greek scholars, I know that you probably all know this already, and I know that Joe is a Greek scholar. Um, I know a little Greek. Um, he's called Stavros, and he runs a kebab shop in York. Um, <laughs> You've got to try. Whack, whack, whack. Yeah. <laughs> I'm here all weekend. Um, when Peter uses this term, the pu- long for the pure spiritual milk, the, the way that you could translate it, the Greek term uh, is, is the milk of the word, actually. Um, there's this, the root word for, uh, for spiritual is, uh, is, is logos, or word. It's got that, that root to it. And so Peter's referring to the word of God. He's referring to the preached and proclaimed word of God. He's referring to the tradition of Jesus that the apostles received and taught the churches that they oversaw and planted. He's talking about scripture. He's talking about the, the, what would be the Jewish scriptures at this point. Uh, he goes on to refer to some of Paul's letters as well. So he's referring to God's word as we long for the word of God, as we imbibe what God says is true of us, it does good to us and nourishes our souls, and therefore we grow up into it. And so let me make a very obvious, frank, but important point. You've got to eat. You have got to eat. There are millions of emaciated, malnourished Christians staggering around the globe because their Christian life has no substance to it. They never eat. They never hunger after the word. They never imbibe God's word, not because they think somehow that they've got to earn their way. They're, they're, it's, something, it's not this legalistic thing, like if I don't read the Bible, God won't like me, and so it kind of puts you off. It's about growing up. When we feed our son Zachary, we don't feed him pure Susanna milk in order for him to become our son. He's already that. He's already our son. We don't feed him because we want him to be our son. We feed him, gosh, because he is our son. And if we don't feed our son, well, he's going <laughs> to waste away. He's not going to grow up healthy and strong and mature as our son. And so God wants for you and I, brothers and sisters, to not live as emaciated, malnourished Christians with distended bellies because we're starving and don't even realize it. He wants us to hunger after his word. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that we've got to all become super crazy Bible scholars who are geeks and have many leather-bound books on their shelves or in their offices? Well, no. But it means that you maybe need to stir your appetites a bit and ask God to give you a new appetite for his word. It maybe means that you've got to go to Joe and say, hey, Joe, can you recommend a cool book for me to read? I want to get into the word of God more. Maybe it means... I don't know, downloading some sermons so you can listen to them on your iPod when you're on the way to work or when you're jogging or whatever you're doing. Get the Word of God into you however you can. Feed. Long for it. When Zachary's hungry, it sounds like this. And he goes on and on and on and on until, you know, until he gets latched on. And then he goes... And he eats. He takes it. It's not like, well, now what do I do? He goes for it. So long for it. Long for the word. Now, alongside that, I, 
I feel this morning, I was just up and thinking about this session, and sometimes I think we can fall into these kind of unhelpful categories about how you do this sort of stuff. Uh, and we fall into categories of thinking, well, we need, what, what I need to do, and what Alan really said this morning was it's really important that I make sure I have a quiet time, right? You all know what a quiet time is, yeah? And the quiet time is not a Bible word or a Bible phrase. There's no such thing. A, a quiet time might be helpful for some people, but it's not about a quiet time. I, I realized that quite a few years ago, and it, and it released me from feeling like my Christian life was bombing if I didn't have a quiet time. <laughs> I realized that actually, because of the grace of God, I can read as much or as little as I like. And I'm loved and accepted. Hallelujah. This is wonderful. But I realized and learned pretty quick that the more I read, the more appetite I got to read, and the more appetite for God I, I, I received. And the more, actually, I changed and the more the kind of, I had the hell kicked out of me because <laughs> I was engaging with God in his word, the more I was transformed by it. But I want to I tell you this. You've got to find the best way for, for you, how you connect with God, and you've got to hammer it, and you've got to do it. You've got to find out the way that you connect and engage with God and do it. It means you don't, don't look at Joe and say, well, Joe, what, what do you do? What's your, what's your devotional life like? Or how, how's your quiet time? What do you do? I mean, maybe that, well, that might help, might inspire you. But don't, for goodness sake, don't copy him. Don't copy what Kevin does, reading 120 articles and books on, on like, male and female stuff when you're doing a series. I mean, I applaud you. I mean, I'm there. I would do the same thing. But then I'm a geek too. And I'm, I've learned that there's, a, you know, there's geekdom in a number of levels here between, between Kevin and I. Find what means you can of engaging with God and do it. Now, maybe that means that you like to go for a walk and listen to something on your iPod, a, a preach or something, get out away from people. Maybe it means that you, you read books. Maybe you, you read the Bible. Whatever you do, hammer it. Because I think, to, I mean, Peter's talking about the Word of God here. But I think we've got to broaden it a little bit to say, you got, as you'll grow up as you hit places where you engage with God and you do that and you allow him to shape your life as you do it. So be released from feeling the only way to grow up as a Christian to become really mature is by copying what the elders do in their quiet time. That will not help you one little bit. I've, I used to think that the only way of really being a great leader, elder, preacher was to have Terry Virgo's prayer life. Oh. And I tried. <laughs> I did. I set the alarm at 10 to 6 and, and got up. And even that made me feeling guilty because I knew that Terry was up at half past five. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm so wretched. And I'd pray for 20 minutes and then find myself like asleep. And then, oh, and then another 10 minutes later, I'd be thinking, oh, who won that football match last night? <laughs> Online, oh, what are you doing? Come on, come back. I tried and tried and tried and tried. And I realized, oh, do you know, what's the point? I'm copying someone else. I've got to find some ways in God that work for me that I might grow up into salvation. Right? And, you know, actually I have. The last nine months I actually got down and found my own really good habit of reading scripture and things, and it's working. Praise God. It takes six months, you know, to form a habit. Six months. But when you, it's, much e- it's much harder to form a habit. It's really easy to lose one. 
But once you've formed it, actually, it's, it's in. And it's like, wow, this is cool. And you, and you grow. So develop good habits. Find ways of connecting with God that work for you. Long for the word. Grow up with the salvation as you do it. Okay? You're still there. All right? Cool. Help him? Yes. Okay. All right. All right. Um, third and final thing for, for this, this first session. Growing up into salvation... It's not something that happens on your own. And this is a key thing. And this is something that we're really, I think, bad at as Western Christians particularly. Because we tend to read the Bible and we read it and we're looking for ourselves. We're we're looking for me. And so every you, every we, every I, it's it's about me. (laughs) And we, we fail to miss the corporate element of the scriptures. We fail to realize that these are letters, documents written to churches, to communities of believers, to groups of Christians together. I want to tell you this morning, and it may be a newsflash to you, or maybe you're saying, yep, absolutely, I've known this for ages, in which case, great. You don't grow up as a Christian on your own. In fact, you cannot grow up as a Christian on your own. Because only in community where these kind of things happen around other people, and you have to work out how to love and bless and serve and nourish other people, that you actually grow up too. And what Peter wants is for the whole church to mature and grow up. And so this morning, what I'm saying to you is as the meeting place, God wants for you all to grow up as a community, as a church, not as isolated egos who have a privatized religious experience with God on a vertical plane, and that's all that it is. It doesn't matter about anybody else. No. God wants the community, the body, to grow up into salvation together. Now, how does Peter put this? This is where the rubber hits the road a little bit. Because Peter said, okay, long for the pure spiritual milk. Imbibe some things by which you might grow up into salvation. But he started by saying, put away your junk. Get your, get your crap out of the way. Unload it. John prayed it earlier on, I think. And I was like, yes. <laughs> I don't think he grabbed my iPad and read my notes <laughs> beforehand. You've got to get rid of your junk. Now, think about it. What's the point of saying to a church, so get, saying, what's the point of saying get rid of all slander and malice and deceit and envy if it's about isolated egos? Because if it's just you and Jesus, well, what, are you envious of Jesus? What? That's weird. <laughs> what's going on with that? Are you slanderer, hey? That only makes sense in the context of community. It only makes sense in the context of a group of people who are growing up into, into salvation with you and alongside you. I started off by telling you what growing up into salvation isn't in order to clear the decks and get a good basis to stand on when we've come to understand what it actually is. And now I'm telling you that it's something that happens among us all together. Listen to what Rob Bell says. This is, a, I think, a great uh, statement, regardless of what you think about Rob Bell. Uh, he says, the issue isn't my beating myself up over all the things I'm not doing or the things I'm doing poorly. The issue is learning who this person is who God keeps on saying that I already am. Okay, what we've been saying. God's not just looking for good boys and girls. He's not looking just for, for sin management, good behavior, keep your nose clean, don't do, avoid the bad sins, but you know, that's, that's, you know, we're doing all right. He's looking for a family that bears his likeness. He's looking for a community in which his spirit dwells. It's, the church is the new humanity, brothers and sisters. It's more than just a bunch of people who've got a common interest. It's not a club 
It's not, well, it's just some people who are kind of like me a little bit. It's this glorious thing that has been built up together. The community of the saints, we might say. Peter said, you're holy, you're a saint. A community who is saintly. Now, you might be sitting next to someone thinking, I don't think that person's very saintly. I don't think they're very holy. You might be looking across the room and thinking, yeah, I sat over here because they sat there and I didn't want to sit near them. Right? Yes, I'm even looking at the floor like, whoa. Uh. God's very interested in the community. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, speaking the truth in love, we have to grow up in all things into him who is the head. Again, it's the church. It's the corporate element. We grow up into salvation together. And I thought God cares for every individual. For sure he does. I think he cares more about the corporate body. He cares more about the church corporate growing up and becoming this new humanity in Christ Jesus as they already are. So, Peter says to put some things away. We're going to look at them one by one. Just make some application. What time does this one finish? How fast? Oh, good. Cool. All right. So, the first thing we're going to put away, malice. Malice. I'm going to give you some little definitions of each one so that no one can wriggle out of it. (laughs) All right. Malice is evil intended to cause hurt. So it's speech, actions, attitudes, deliberately done in order to harm somebody else. Put it away. Get short of it. Toss it out as garbage. It doesn't belong in the new humanity in Christ. Get rid of it. Get short of it. It stops you growing up into salvation. Deceit. This is the desire to gain some kind of advantage or to preserve some position by deceiving others. Right? So it's getting an advantage. It's being cheeky and, and deceitful and, uh, and trying to wiggle your way into things. It's kind of just, it's, a, it's an attitude again that destroys community. Hypocrisy. This is a bit obvious probably, but it's the desire to not be known for who we really are or what we really do. Right? It's hiding things. It's a play acting deal. Envy. The desire for privilege or benefit that belongs to another with resentment that another has it and you don't. Oh, don't you know that one? Don't you know that one? Why is he on the stage? Why is he leading worship? She's been in the church six years less than I have, and she's singing in the worship team. The elders have asked her to lead that ministry area. Don't they know about my gifting? Don't they know the experience that I have? Oh, my word. Well, let me tell you about her. Well, I heard that she did this. No, 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 no. Slander. This is a desire. This is, this is a huge one as well. This is a desire for, for revenge and self-enhancement, often driven by the deeper desire to deflect attention from our own failings. So the worse light we can put another in by slander, the less obvious our own darkness appears. Ow. Harsh, <laughs> eh? Now, I don't know about you, but I see elements of all them in my heart at times. And I'm scrapping Alan the idiot all the time. I'm wrestling him, fighting him, and beating hell out of him. (laughs) God's helping. (laughs) It strikes me, in looking at these sins, I'm just going to call them what they are, right? Sin. No point in beating around the bush. I'm going to call these things sin. They're all about self-preservation, one way or another. They're all about self 
self-preservation, making sure that your reputation doesn't get exposed for what it really is, making sure that you get positions of authority, advantage, making sure that you keep another person down so that you get to feel like you've got power and authority, that you're a leader, that you're a big shot, making sure that you kind of lie and kind of just don't quite tell the truth in order that you don't get taken out of the ministry that you're doing. There's a biggie. I hit that in York recently, a young guy who deceived us about some pretty major sin that he was in. Even though we had dealt with the same sin and were disciplining him and it happened again, he deceived us just because he knew what was going to come. It was going to be the end of his year working for the church. It sure was. (laughs) And the sad thing was, the deceit was worse than what he was actually doing. I cared more about the fact that he had deceived me than I cared about the fact that he had been naughty. I'm getting very close to going there, what it actually was. All these things are self-preservation tactics. Now, isn't it very, very, very difficult to pour out your heart and your life for the sake of other people around you growing up into salvation when you are living with one agenda, which is to preserve yourself? Isn't it? Isn't it very, very difficult to build church? Isn't it very difficult to love people? Isn't it difficult to serve people, to prefer other people? Isn't it very hard to go the extra mile with other people? Isn't it really super hard to be patient and to endure with the person in the church who is a pain in your butt all the time? When your whole life is geared around self-preserving, isn't that hard work? For sure it is. So Peter says, throw them all away. Get rid of every ounce of self-preservation that is kicking around your heart and your head in order that you might corporately grow up into salvation. Because what will happen otherwise is that the meeting place will become of 200-odd, maybe more, egos who are looking out for number one. And it won't become a community full of the Spirit, full of life, full of the power of the age to come. It won't become a missional community. Forget that. It won't become a church-planting community. Because if you're only living to preserve your own Dignity, your own sense of worth by what you do, if you're hiding stuff, hey, forget it. God wants you to put stuff away in order that the community of the saints might be built and grow up. Uh, okay, five minutes to go. Okay. Relational tension in the church is not a sign that you're in the wrong place. Relational tension in the church is the sign that you're in the right place. (laughs) Wake up! I went to that church and they were really nice. And I liked it. But then they started to challenge me about some things in my life and it got a bit tense and a little bit difficult. So I went to another church and I spent three months there going through the niceties, going through all the kind of superficial surface level chit-chat until then my issues surfaced again and they challenged me there. And suddenly, oh, all these churches aren't perfect and I'm floating around looking for the perfect church. Wake up. The tension is God's way of dealing with you. And so many people leave churches because relational heat comes. Something happens. Those people are just, I need to go somewhere where there's people who are more like me. I mean, get real. Is there anybody less like Jesus than you? (laughs) Yeah, he comes into the world. Well, I mean, really, right? It's true, yeah? Is there anyone less like Jesus than you? And yet he incarnates, he meets you where you are. You see, you can't build church if you're looking always for people to meet you where you are. Forget it. That's selfish again. 
I, I just want people to accept me for who I am. Uh, that's what's really important. I'm me, and I've just got to be, you know, be, keep it real, man. What a lot of nonsense. The whole thrust of the gospel, you meet people where they're at. Don't be lazy and selfish and expect them to meet you where you are. The grace of God means you are empowered to go to other people and be Christ to them. Yeah? So when there's tension in relationships, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm, uh, something's going wrong. No, 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 no. You've got to say, God, what are you teaching me? How can I grow? How can I learn to be more like Jesus right now, right here with that person? And you know what? It will be the one person or the, the, the few people that you really want to avoid <laughs> that God is going to use to grow you and to grow them. Let me let you into something in my life. There's, there's somebody, there's someone in, in York in, uh, in our church and uh, and relationally, it's not easy. It's not someone who's really like me. Or maybe it is, actually. Maybe that's the problem. Is that all the stuff that's bad is reflected right back at me. Yeah? And I, I, God revealed something to me. Do you know, I'm growing you in learning how to love somebody who's not like you. And I, how I wish it was easier. <laughs> how I wish there was just a one-line prayer that would do the thing. How I wish there was a ministry time or a conference that I could go to, why? Where I could go to the front, stand on the line, have some carpet time, get up again, and it's all sorted, yay! No, it doesn't work like that. It's just not how it works. Because God's teaching me about loving people, accepting people, preferring people, honoring people, and building community by doing that, because that's what he cares about most. So how is your heart as you headed into this weekend? Were you excited about meeting with God? No, I'm sure now. No, I don't know. Yeah? Who are you most looking forward to seeing? Who are you most excited about hanging out with? Who are you thinking, I can't wait. I'm gonna, we're going to do the archery thing together. Yeah, it's going to be great. We're going to hang out. I'm going to see my friends. Who are you most dreading seeing this weekend? There'll be someone. There'll be someone. The minute you saw them, there's that icy feeling of, oh, man, I'm going to have to... I'm gonna have to Pick that person, I'll have to engage with that person again. Oh man, they're right in front of me in the queue for breakfast. And like, I'd move, but I just really, really want to get the sausages. <laughs> <laughs> there are two people down the row, and you're like, can you, can you ask that person to pass the maple syrup, please? <laughs> That's the person that God's on your case about. That's the person that God wants you to go and give grace to this weekend. That's the person that God's asking you to get over yourself with, rather than waiting for them to maybe say sorry for what they did, maybe change so that they're more like you, maybe alter their social hangout deal so they can become part of your clique. That's the person that God wants you to get to this weekend and to extend grace to them. Because you know, as you do that, God's going to give grace to you. And it will be grace to you and to that person as you engage with them. It's not about waiting for someone to change. God didn't wait for you to change and to get your act together. He came to you. He met with you in the depths of your junk and your mess and your sin. So you now go and do the same. You now go and do the same. I, I had this uh, kind of prophetic word. This is where I'm going to just end it at this point. Is that, I mean, we, have, we call them plasters in the UK. Right? A Band-Aid. It's called a plaster. But when I was praying and thinking about this weekend, I, I felt God speaking about Band-Aids. And 
I was thinking, wait, it can't be like the Bob Geldof Band-Aid thing. <laughs> it's not that one. No, no, okay, a Band-Aid. And there's certain wounds that if you whack a Band-Aid on, well, it just heals up and goes away. There's other wounds that are, are serious enough and deep enough that if you whack a Band-Aid on it, it's not going to go away. It's just going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. Gangrenous, septic, maybe you have to amputate the bit, I don't know. But it's, in the end, it's going to make the whole body sick. And this weekend is an opportunity for God to rip some band-aids off, some deep wounds, and bring some fresh air and grace and healing into them in relationships. And that's going to mean a bit of stinging. It's going to mean a bit of confrontation. It's going to mean a bit of eating humble pie. It's going to mean a little bit of, man, this is awkward, and I don't feel good about this. Who cares how you feel? It doesn't matter how you feel. You have to work through that and get through it in order to build well, in order to give grace to one another, in order that we might grow up into salvation. So we're not going to have a ministry time now as we come to the end of this session, right? We did agree that, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> because you don't need a ministry time. You do not need a sweaty elder's hand and coffee breath in your face. Or someone blowing on your stomach and going, fire! (laughs) You don't need that in order to go now and be Jesus to someone. Listen, you don't need that. You don't need a prayer now. Jesus said, blessed are you if you do these things. In fact, a ministry time is just an excuse to not do it. Because all the while you're here and you're flapping like a fish like, and whatever it is that you're doing or you've been prayed for having ministry, you could be doing ministry to the person and receiving grace yourself by giving grace to somebody else. So we've got a coffee break coming up. I want to suggest strongly that you apply this word by going now to the person that you need to speak to by putting right the relationships that are soured or beginning that process. Man, that's caused a flutter. Oh, <laughs> Well, I just remembered I've got to get home. The basement's flooding. Oh. <laughs> Dang. Remember, remember, complaints to Jeremy Simpkins. <laughs> I'm going to pray, and then that's the end of this session, all right? Delio, let's just pray together. Jesus, we, we, we bow before you in acknowledgement that there's no one... There's no one who's, who's less like you than us. Uh, and yet you took on flesh. Uh, you became what you'd never been. You entered into sin and mess and junk, all people's uncleanness and, and rubbish. Thank you that when you were touched by someone who was messy and unclean, uh, you didn't get unclean, but they got your life. <laughs> they got your cleanness. They got your wholeness. Uh, Lord, we, we come to you acknowledging all our mess, Lord, all our immature junk, all the self-preservation. And uh, we ask that by your grace, we would be a community here that is putting it away. It's getting short of all the stuff that is self-preserving and building community. I pray for relationships to be healed this weekend. I pray that right now, over this next coffee break, you would begin to work deeply, that band-aids would be off and that deep wounds would be exposed and healed that the whole body here might grow into maturity. We thank you that you mean business with us. (laughs) And we thank you that you do business with us and that we receive it 
Uh, We want to do it together, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.